report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome aboard. We've got some stormy weather on the way late this weekend. Rain will flip to wind-driven snow Sunday into Monday. Meteorologist Al Roker. Wind gusts of up to 50 to 60 miles per hour and interior sections from the Appalachians all the way up into upstate New York, anywhere from three to six inches of snow. Kevin Williams has weather where you live coming up. The November jobs report went public today and overall it was good. Unemployment in this country dipping to 3.7 percent. Employers adding 199,000 jobs to their payrolls. That's better than what Wall Street was predicting. The Biden administration is pressuring Israel as its war with Hamas enters month number three. The White House wants the Jewish state to do more to avoid civilian casualties in Gaza, even as Israel continues efforts to eradicate the terrorists. Correspondent Greg Palcott. Secretary of State Blinken recently said there is no deadline for Israel to finish up its operation here, but he expects major fighting to be finished within a month. That means early January. Today, the U.N. Secretary General called for a ceasefire. More than 16,000 Palestinians and 90 Israeli soldiers have been killed in this war, which Hamas started on October 7th when it slaughtered 1,200 civilians inside Israel. Jews worldwide marked the first night of Hanukkah last night, but not many were in a celebratory mood. Charlie Daggett reports from Tel Aviv. Normally, this would be the start of a joyous occasion to spend time with loved ones and relatives. It's a more somber event, remembrance of the lives lost two months ago and to remember those who remain missing. Hamas is still holding nearly 140 hostages. At least 10 that were freed were sexually abused while in captivity. More trouble for Team Biden, the president's son Hunter, the subject of a new nine-count federal indictment. Laura Jarrett has the latest. A new indictment charging Biden with failing to pay his taxes on time and instead spending millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. Biden's accused of not paying nearly $1.5 million in taxes over several years. Miranda Devine with the New York Post. When you look at the depth and breadth of the crimes that are alleged here, Hunter Biden is accused not just of failing to pay his taxes, but of fraudulently trying to rip off the tax office. Hunter's lawyer argues if his client's name was not Biden, these charges would have never been filed. A conviction on each could land Hunter in prison for 17 years. Legal analyst Lori Levinson says the case poses problems for the president, too. It will undoubtedly be fodder for his political enemies who have wanted to investigate the business of Burisma, the contact with China, and the failure to pay taxes. Former White House advisor David Axelrod isn't sure any of this will actually stick to the president, though. This will be a log on the fire. Uh, The fire may not 
uh, actually reach the door of the White House, uh, but the Republicans will try and depict it as such. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley says President Biden has a public relations problem and his son's legal woes are not helping. Roughly 70 percent of the American people don't believe the president. They believe that he has done something unlawful or unethical. And by the way, 40 percent of Democrats feel that way. But what the president is facing is a trap of his own making. Congress could vote next week on a formal impeachment inquiry into President Biden. We're learning more today about that college professor that went on a shooting rampage at UNLV. Reporter Omar Villafranca says this guy had a list of people he was targeting. The suspect was a former college assistant business professor in North Carolina at East Carolina University for almost 20 years, resigning in 2017. He applied to work at UNLV, but did not get the job. Investigators say he sent at least 22 envelopes containing an unknown white powder to faculty at UNLV and in North Carolina. 67-year-old Anthony Polito killed three faculty members before cops killed him. President Biden in California tonight for a star-studded Hollywood fundraiser with liberal elites like Barbara Streisand, Steven Spielberg, and Rob Reiner. Celebrities don't live in the real world. They don't have struggles the way we have struggles. I'm uh, retired. I have a uh, disability. I had to go get two jobs just to help us make ends meet. California voter Christina Ramos says Biden's celebrity-packed fundraiser sends the wrong message. How many hostages do we have in Gaza? The president has no business leaving the White House. He needs to get all the powers that be, lock them in a room at the White House, and we're not coming out, no one's going on vacation until that is resolved. The celebrity supporters are paying more than 900000 thousand dollars each to attend tonight's fundraiser for the president. Another PGA golfer is jumping ship to play for the Saudi-backed Live Tour. Ron wins the Masters Marathon. 29-year-old John Rahm of Spain is bolting the PGA in a deal that could pay him half a billion dollars. He's the world's third-ranked golfer right now. Very well respected both by his peers and fans. So for him to make the jump Kind of breaks that mold of live golf having a lot of the bad guys in golf. Joe Beal is with Golf Digest and says Rom's defection is a game changer for professional golf. Still to come on the noon report, highway shutdown, synagogue targeted, and McDermott apology. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams. We head into the weekend with some mild, pleasant weather. We come out of the weekend, though, with a completely different weather picture. I'll have forecast details coming up shortly. All right, Kevin, we'll look forward to you later. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news where you live. The northeast extension of the Pennsylvania Turnpike is shutting down in both directions for six hours this weekend. Interstate 476 will be closed from overnight Saturday to early Sunday between the Lehigh Valley Allentown exit all the way to Quakertown. The closure is necessary for bridge demolition. A bridge over a highway is being destroyed. A 28-year-old Muslim man is facing federal charges after firing shots outside an Albany, New York synagogue Thursday, just hours before the start of Hanukkah. This is not who we are. This must stop. Governor Hochul's directed the state police and National Guard to be on guard for acts of anti-Semitism during the Jewish holiday. The bottom line is this. 
The safety of Jewish New Yorkers is non-negotiable. Police say the suspect was making threatening statements in the parking lot of Temple Israel, which also serves as a preschool. That preschool was forced into a lockdown when the shots rang out. Albany Sheriff Eric Hawkins. We were told by uh, responding officers that he made a comment uh, free Palestine. Those comments have led to a federal hate crimes investigation. A congressional committee's launched an investigation into the University of Pennsylvania and two other Ivy League schools following controversial testimony on Capitol Hill. Here's Family Life Sarah Harnish. It started with this statement from UPenn President Liz McGill. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. McGill backpedaled in a video released last night. In that moment, I was focused on our university's long-standing policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. Harvard and MIT are also included in the anti-Semitism investigation. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro is condemning the UPenn president for her comments. Shapiro, who is Jewish, called those comments from Liz McGill shameful. It should not be hard to condemn genocide. Genocide against Jews, genocide against anyone else. Major donors at the school are now demanding the president's ouster. One booster is threatening to pull $100 million unless she's replaced. And the influential UPenn Wharton School of Business also calling for Liz McGill's resignation. The Pittsburgh Steelers may have seen their playoff aspirations fizzle last night with that disappointing home loss to the lowly New England Patriots. Pittsburgh head coach Mike Tomlin um, obviously, um, this stings, um, but we'll be back. In the past two weeks, the Steelers have lost home games to teams that combined had less than five wins on the season, the Cardinals and the Patriots. Randy Snavely will have more on the game in just a few minutes. Buffalo Bills coach Sean McDermott is apologizing for comments he made several years ago about 9-11. In 2019, McDermott cited the hijackers as a group of people who are able to, quote, get on the same page. He was using the terrorists as an example of what effective teamwork looks like. Years later, McDermott admits, yeah, that was probably a bad analogy. As I mentioned to the team then that I regretted and apologized for me not doing a good job of clearly communicating. And I'm going to do the same with the team today so that if there's anyone new, that they understand how important that is to me and my family because it's a it's an important event a horrific event in our history. McDermott says he and his family lost friends on 9-11. Tragedy on the tracks in Cumberland County, PA. A toddler hit and killed by a train yesterday. It happened in South Newton Township around 10 a.m. You don't see these type of accidents and tragedies happen around here. The 15-month-old was struck by a Norfolk Southern train. Those tracks are just a stone's throw away from the backyards of several homes in that Shippensburg suburb. Matt Peters says dozens of trains fly by those homes every day. It's probably in the neighborhood of at least 30 
40 trains, I would think, depending on how busy it is. Anybody can walk out on the tracks. It is not known if the parents of the toddler were home at the time or if any charges will be filed. A science teacher in Buffalo being hailed as a hero for jumping into action to save the life of a complete stranger. James Damon was driving on Interstate 190 on Tuesday when he noticed a motorist acting erratically. Turns out that motorist was suffering a drug overdose. Damon got her to pull over and then administered first aid until paramedics arrived. If he wouldn't have been out and engaging in that, I don't think we'd have the same outcome. We signed up for this. Um, you know, an everyday citizen driving by doesn't necessarily do that. Buffalo police gave the woman Narcan. She's currently in stable condition. When asked if he thinks he's a hero, James Damon said this. No, no, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a teacher. I'm just trying to do what anyone would do for my loved ones, I would hope. James Damon's a former basketball coach in Buffalo and says that's how he knew how to do CPR. Flu is on the rise in New York. Pediatric nurse practitioner Dr. Mary Petraco says influenza is especially harmful to children. Young children, even healthy young children, can wind up seriously ill from influenza or even die from influenza. It's not just children with complications who can have these issues. Flu cases in New York up 25% from last week. Hospitalizations are up 30%. Well, Christmas has come early to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. About 200 children in the Bethlehem area will be getting restored bicycles this holiday season. Volunteers spent several months refurbishing the bikes to almost brand new condition. New York City's Rat Czar held a press conference yesterday. Yeah, there's such a thing. Her name is Kathleen Karate, and among her daily tasks is to try and keep an accurate accounting of Gotham City's notorious rodent population. We do not have a rat census. Um, <laughs> the, the information that we use to drive our you know, collective strategy is the information our health inspectors collect. And what those health inspectors have been able to collect is that about three million rats call New York City home. That's about a third of New York's human population. According to the pest control experts at Orkin, though, New York City is not the rattiest city in America. It's only the second rattiest. The top spot goes to Chicago. Let's pause next. Talk sports on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob Bailey Zappi led the New England Patriots to a 21-18 upset over the Steelers last night in Pittsburgh. Zappi threw three first-half touchdown passes, and they stood up as the Pats snapped a five-game losing streak for the Steelers. It's their second straight loss, and they are now 7-6 on the season. The finalists are set for the NBA's in-season tournament. It will be the Lakers taking on the Indiana Pacers. LA blew out the Pelicans 133-89 last night, and Indiana upset the top-ranked Milwaukee Bucks 128-119. On the ice, the Sabres put the brakes on their four-game losing skid with a 3-1 win over the Bruins in Boston. J.J. Paterka started the scoring early in the second period, then Tage Thompson followed suit, but before the period ended, Brad Marchand lit the lamp for Boston to make the score 2-1. Victor Olofsson put the game on ice for Buffalo in the third, and that was all she wrote. Boston still leads the division with 37 points. Buffalo is in seventh with 24. 
Matthew Barzal and Bo Horvat both scored twice to lead the Islanders to a 7-3 route over the Blue Jackets. The Flyers got a pair of goals from Travis Konechny, and they beat the Coyotes in Tempe 4-1. Joel Farabee and Cam York also lit the lamp for Philly. And college football's most coveted award will be given out this weekend. LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr., and Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. are the four players hoping to win the Heisman Trophy. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy Man. Still to come on the Noon Report, mail-in ballots, redrawn political lines, and the anti-Israeli agenda in the Ivy League. We're talking about it on Capital Connection. Plus, Kevin Williams has that wet, warm, and windy weekend forecast after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. It's not uncommon to hear that the divorce rate is the same inside the church as outside. Though it's not true, even Christians tend to repeat it as if it were. Both the kind of church a married couple attends and how often they attend make a notable difference in marital stability. In her new book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, Nancy Piercy, professor and scholar-in-residence at Houston Christian University, refutes another widely held misnomer. Quote, Many people assume that most theologically conservative men are patriarchal and domineering, but sociological studies have refuted that negative stereotype. Compared to secular men, devout Christian family men who attend church regularly are more loving husbands and more engaged fathers. They have the lowest rates of divorce, and astonishingly, they have the lowest rates of domestic violence of any major group in America, end quote. Now, the research Piercy's referring to here was first published by sociologist Brad Wilcox back in 2017. As Piercy notes, this research seems largely unknown, especially, it seems, by Christians who are quick to self-flagellate. For example, Piercy continues, the so-called Christian men with the highest divorce rates are those who don't actually attend church faithfully. She explains, quote, most of these men are nominal Christians, which means they're not particularly devout and attend church rarely, if at all. They're prone to pick up terms like headship and submission, but then interpret them through a secular lens of power and control. Nominal men skew the statistics, creating this false impression that evangelical men as a group are abusive and domineering, end quote. Now, unsurprisingly, many of her critics responded with stories of bad behavior by men in conservative churches. But, of course, Piercy never asserted that abuse never occurs in conservative churches among those with conservative views about men and women. Rather, what Piercy's arguing in The War on Toxic Masculinity is that a man's conservative views about gender roles isn't as important as his views on the importance and centrality of the family. These husbands, Wilcox reports, quote, believe marriage is not primarily about individual fulfillment, but about forming a stable, loving home to raise a family. They hold to an ideal of fidelity and permanence. And it's because of these views that conservative husbands tend to care about their families the way they do. And among the positive outcomes are wives that tend to be the happiest of all wives in America. Once again, a Christian vision of life in the world proves to not only be true, but also good. The Christian vision makes us better humans, both men and women. It matters whether or not husbands and wives take family seriously. It matters whether they think it's important to fulfill the creation mandate of Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It matters whether they take seriously the words of Jesus when he quoted Genesis 2 that the husband and wife are no longer two but one flesh and what God has joined together, let not man separate. 
though men are often told that there's something inherently wrong with being a male, as Piercy writes, quote, the evidence shows that Christianity has the power to overcome toxic behavior in men and reconcile the sexes, an unexpected finding that has stood up to rigorous empirical testing. End quote. Piercy's book, The Toxic Wall Masculinity, is especially important right now, given all the myths and the lies about men that are so often repeated in our world. It's thoughtful, it's sound, it's carefully researched, and it's well-written. Even more, it's profoundly helpful. As Piercy exhorts us in her book, quote, We should be bold about bringing the truth about men into the public square. Thankfully, her book equips us to do that. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family light weather forecast for this afternoon. Some sunshine, milder than recent days. High temperatures 40s and near 50s. Some clouds return tonight. Low temps 30s and near 40. It'll be fairly cloudy, mild, breezy tomorrow. Well into the 50s. Rain arrives late tomorrow night in western areas. Spreads east Sunday morning. It's a rainy, breezy Sunday. Highs, though, in the 50s. Temperatures tumble late. Rain turns to snow in many areas by Sunday night. Okie doke, Kev. Thank you very much. It is Friday, folks, the 8th of December, and this is the Noon Report on the Family Life Radio Network. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Well, gentlemen, I want to begin with a question that New York Congressman Lee Stefanik posed to the president at the University of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania this week during a heated exchange on anti-Semitism on America's college campuses. UPenn's president, a woman by the name of Liz McGill, was asked if calling for the genocide of the Jews would violate the school's code of conduct, to which McGill had the audacity to say, it depends on the context. Jason, your reaction to that statement? Yeah, I just can't imagine a context in which it would be appropriate to call for the genocide of a people, and then to imply that it's free speech until it's an action, which the action would then be genocide. Uh, it's unbelievable. I commend Representative Stefanik for crystallizing the situation. Freeze it, frame it, and show the American people what this really is. Yeah, the, it depends on the context. Uh, when you're talking about the elimination of an entire race of people, it depends on the context, uh, whether or not that violates the code of conduct at UPenn. Michael, your reaction? It's just incredible. Congresswoman's questioning of those uh, three college presidents and to see them unable to answer her simple yes or no question, is this wrong? They could not answer that and it was appalling to see and parents should now look very closely at whether they would send their children to a place like University of Pennsylvania. All right, moving on, guys. Jason, this is a huge deal. Uh, the battle over New York's congressional boundary lines. It's back at the state court 
Court of Appeals. Seems like we were just there. How did we get to this point? How soon do you think before we will get a decision in this all-important case? Well, first, how we got there is a long and winding road. But essentially, the last election cycle, uh, the Republicans picked up a number of seats. And because there was so much at stake, uh, the Democrats want to make sure they do everything they can to gerrymander here in New York to redraw those lines so that Republicans cannot win those seats again. I think it's an unfair practice that's being engaged in. Those maps ought to just stand. How soon do we know? Well, that's hard to tell. I think the decision could really come at any time. Arguments have been heard. I anticipate that if things change on the congressional level, and they very well might, you might even see the Senate lines here in New York reopened again as well. Michael, there was a court ruling last month on undated ballots since mail-in voting is the name of the game now. This is an issue all of a sudden. What was that ruling? Do you agree with that ruling? And how might that impact next year's election in Pennsylvania? Well, first of all, that ruling by an Obama-appointed and then Trump-reappointed federal district judge in Western Pennsylvania is causing issues even in this year's election. That judge ruled, contrary to the clear guidance of the law, that ballots without dates on the envelope still must be counted. A ruling like this is yet another example of how mail-in voting has upset the apple cart as far as how elections are done in Pennsylvania, and in my view, it doesn't inspire confidence in how things will go in 2024. All right, and speaking of genies being out of the bottle, uh, Marijuana Incorporated is here in New York. And Jason, it's interesting to watch how towns and villages adopt these cannabis consumption laws because the city of Corning has voted to adopt the state guidelines rather than the more restrictive local zoning rules. Why aren't these uniform standards? Well, one, there is local control, and so we do believe in local control. Unfortunately, when it comes to cannabis or recreational weed, it is out of control in many places across the state. The state is offering guidelines. They are very lax, but there are folks that are supporting those recommendations because they want to see the sales of this cannabis in their localities. That is problematic. I was just driving home the other night, and I was noticing how even in little rural towns, you're seeing these neon green leaf signs in the windows. It's just everywhere now. And I am very concerned how it's desensitizing our youth to drug use. Well, uh, another issue in the news, unfortunately, is crime. Michael, this story out of Philadelphia, I mean, even in a city where crime is so bad, it just is hard to imagine. This sort of violence around the holidays, a shoplifter got caught, was sent out of the store, walks back in 15 minutes and stabs a security guard in the neck, kills the guy, a 30-year-old man, right at the height of the holiday season. In this case, anyway, these security guards are not armed. Should they be armed in Pennsylvania, given how bad crime is now in cities like Philadelphia? Well, first of all, I do want to remember the human element of that crime. That security guard was named Eric Harrison, and he was working two jobs to save up for a house. We think of crime stats, but these are individual human beings who deserve protection. And the perpetrator was a repeat offender known to police for drug and retail crimes. I think companies like Macy's and uh, security guards may want to think about being armed. Even private individual citizens may be thinking about that when government fails at the basic responsibility of protecting its citizens. Well, Jason, Governor Hochul not giving up on her plan to construct 800,000 new affordable homes in the Empire State. She announced that she's going to do this through executive action next year. Your concerns about what she means by that? Yeah, it's an interesting process because at first the governor said she was not going to be engaging in this next year. And I think that's because it was an election year for the legislature. And so the legislature does not want to be on record taking these actions that many voters, even the Democratic Party and many independents oppose. Getting back to a previous story, we talked about local control. This is local control of your localities. Mm. And so now for the governor to take executive action in this manner, well, she's not up for re-election next year, but many say 
state legislators are, so they're running scared, and she's taking executive action. Gotcha. Speaking of governors, Michael, uh, your governor, uh, been in office almost a year now. Want to give him a grade, a scale of A to F. What grade would you give him? What has been your greatest disappointment in the Shapiro administration? And is there anything about his administration that you would brag on a year later? Well, I guess maybe a positive from my viewpoint is that his stumbles in his first year make him less likely to be a presidential nominee anytime soon. Gotcha. Uh, something that he desperately wishes for. But talking about those stumbles, even leaving aside his radical pro-abortion stance, which earned him an F in my book, vetoing the school choice initiative he campaigned on, that's a black eye. His big payout over sexual harassment allegations of one of his top staff members, yet another black eye. Those are many of the factors that would give him a bad grade, even for those who are not in the pro-family realm like me, uh, which would rate him, again, an F because of his pro-abortion stance. Another big story that's kind of flying under the radar, Jason, is New York could be looking at a budget deficit of $36 billion over the next few years. Do you expect the governor to try and tackle this in her state of the state next month? What is the impact of this sort of red ink if this spending is not reined in? Yeah, I think the governor will have to address it in her state of the state in some form. The New York State Comptroller recently put out a report warning legislators not to get giddy in spending. There's been an out-migration of New Yorkers during the pandemic times, and it's only probably going to get worse. I think the governor will probably frame this as needing to rein in spending. Uh, she's going to have to look at even the migrant issue going out of New York City. The billions are being spent there. And then I think the governor is going to look at new revenue streams like mobile sports gambling and then cannabis. Hmm. I think you will now see the move towards iGaming or casino games on your mobile devices. The advocates are saying they believe it will raise another $1 billion. And unfortunately, legislators in both parties only see the dollars, not the impact on the family. Well, I go to Vegas when you've got New York. And finally, Michael, I want to bring this up because there was a Supreme Court ruling that dealt with this, I think, a couple of years ago out of Philadelphia. Attorneys general from 18 states argue the White House has some new mandates on foster care that will endanger the rights of Christian parents. What's the issue here? And if the court has already ruled on this, why is the Biden administration issuing this mandate now? Well, that court case out of Philadelphia involved Catholic charities and the city of clamping down on them related to foster care placements in Christian homes. that resulted in a victory in providing freedom for Catholic charities and other Christian agencies that would put kids in foster care. What the Biden administration now is doing is imposing a euphemistically named safe and appropriate foster care placement requirements, which will require foster care parents to, quote, utilize the child's identified pronouns, chosen name, and allow the child to dress in an age-appropriate manner that the child believes reflects their self-identified gender identity and expression. And a truly Bible-believing Christian is not going to want to do that, and that basically is excluding Christians from the engagement. Whether or not the Supreme Court case will apply to this, it uh, remains to be seen. All right, we got hundreds of thousands of kids in that foster care system, too, so uh, we'll yeah. see how that uh, pans out. But hey, we've been a lot of places uh, this week, gentlemen. If anyone has questions about New Yorkers for constitutional freedoms and the great work you do each and every day, Jason, where can folks find you online? AlbanyUpdate.com. Pennsylvania Family Institute. What are you all about, Michael? Where can folks learn more? PAFamily.org. Guys, thank you, Capital Connection. The name of the program comes your way every Friday during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. 
Well, very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. High pressure building into our region this afternoon has been working on clearing the skies and warming the air. That mild air will carry us into the weekend. But a storm system will track from the south to the north and impact us in terms of wind and rain from late Saturday night and Sunday. Colder air following that system will turn rain to snow. We'll have to watch for some pasty snow accumulations, especially across the higher elevations of central New York. We'll keep an eye on that for the Sunday night, Monday morning time frame. But for this afternoon, some sunshine milder than recent days. High temperatures 40s and near 50s. Some clouds return tonight. Low temps 30s and near 40. It'll be fairly cloudy, mild, breezy tomorrow, well into the 50s. Rain arrives late tomorrow night in western areas, spreads east Sunday morning. It's a rainy, breezy Sunday. Highs, though, in the 50s. Temperatures tumble late. Rain turns to snow in many areas by Sunday night. All right, we'll keep our eye on that, Kevin. Thanks for that. Uh, it's Friday, folks. You worked hard all week, and you deserve a treat. Correspondent Bree Tennis tells us what would make the perfect treat. Today is National Brownie Day, the perfect chocolatey, cakey creation invented in the 1890s in Chicago at the Polymer House Hotel. Although food historians say that could be a legend. Brownies are the perfect size, and they fit perfectly in your hand. So good they have two national days, December 8th and February 10th. A classic brownie has five ingredients, and if you make it chocolate-free, it's called a blondie. But why would you do that? I'm Bree Tennis. That is a great question, Bree, and one we will have to save for another time because we are out of time. That's our world. The world we live in, Friday, December 8th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.